went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then returned. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that might know what they had gained by doing his business by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very will, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a hand handkerchief. And a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you do not deposit and reap what you do not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. When then did you not put my money in a bag? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him, and give it to the one who has made ten minas. And he said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has more, more who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. And when he said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he heard, uh, he heard near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent, who were sent went away and found it, just as, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, and he was and as he was drawing near, already on the mount way on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who, had, who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if, you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out.
And when he drew near and saw Satan, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day that the things that make for peace? But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you on every side and tear you down to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know a time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes said, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Thanks, boys. Good job. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning as we turn to it and we see the arrival of Jesus in Jerusalem. Would you, by your spirit, um, open our eyes and our hearts to see the truth that you would have for us, that we would live welcoming the king, relying on King Jesus, setting him above all things in our life, that we would find hope, trust, and life in him. Be glorified in this place today, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. I was thinking about a funny way to talk about how Dodger fans and Padres fans are worshiping together today, but I don't want to give Dodger fans any credit in this place. So there is time for repentance now and uh, cheering for the Padres. And, you know, Roger's a Giants fan, and he was cheering on the Padres until they beat the Dodgers, and now he's back to hating the Padres, so we have to work on him. All future leadership in this church is in question, Roger, because of your... Not at all, not at all. We need somebody to represent the two Giants fans we have. All right, Luke 19. So a, a big section of text. Jesus has come into or arriving at Jerusalem. And the big idea for us today is that you have a choice. Deny King Jesus or rely on him. So choice before us, before all people from... All of history at this moment, you have a choice, deny King Jesus or rely on him. We are given an abundant amount of choices in our lives, aren't we not? Right? We actually are what I would call fat with choices. Like we have so much, just go down. There was a a video of somebody who was just walking through the frozen pizza section in a supermarket in Wisconsin. And the video was like two minutes long. And it's like they love their frozen pizza in Wisconsin. There was just a ton, but there was like an endless amount of choices. It was phenomenal, right? So while we're sitting here, name your favorite cereal. What is it? Reese's? Your parents don't let you eat those. Checks? Honey Nut Cheerios. Who said checks? Christian, that's so boring. How much sugar do you put on them? Yeah, milk toast. Any others? Favorite cereal? You in? Captain Crunch, that ruins the roof of your mouth, doesn't it? It's so gross. Leaves a film. Yeah, what's up, Emery? What's your favorite cereal? My favorite cereal is Rocky 
Lucky Charms, yeah. We are poor, so we have marshmallow mateys. That's what we have in the Schrader household. Any other favorite cereals? Yeah? Lucky Charms as well. You you good friends with Emery, and so that, that makes sense. Um, what about the cereal you only get to have when Grandma's in town? The Zolls were over, and they saw some Cocoa Puffs uh, mixed with Lucky Charms. Actually, that was the so I guess we do have Lucky Charms. And they're like, we only get these when Grandma's in town. It's like, yep. Yeah, sometimes when Dad goes shopping, we uh, spoil ourselves, right? So they did what? That's how they get it too. The dads are legit running it today. Well, so the truth is, because we heard more, you know, a few options here, and not everybody said muesli. No one said muesli. Zoss, Joey, Joey, you do that? Yeah, muesli. You like it? It's healthy. You're healthy. Who does? Luke likes it. Oh, Michigander. That's what that, that problem is. But because not everybody said. Muesli, it proves that we have a lot to choose from in life, right? We get that, that there's a lot of choice before us. Some of you are going to make a decision about where to go eat after church today. And you're going to have a plethora of choices. We have so many choices, we don't even realize how overwhelming choice is baked into our Western experience. It's just uh, the abundance that we live, even in a difficult economic time, there are plenty of choices. If you don't like what you pay or how good your reception is on your phone, what do you do? You choose a different carrier, right? And they're going to give you a new phone when you do. So there's like an added bonus to it, right? Just think of, um, I went to Starbucks this morning, think of the number of quote-unquote milk options there are when you order a drink. You can get any kind of nut milk, oat milk, soy milk, real milk. That I don't even know how they have real cows anymore. There's so many other options. But we just have tons of choice. And we can go on because we have a wealth of choices, right? We get that. And we often take, though, that experience into the realities of our soul. And we can end up creating some new choices of our own. We, want to follow a God that's in our image or painted in a way that we approve of. And it, we do it all the time, even when it comes to faith. The things of truth can be shifted and we have plenty of choice. As we drive through town, Ewan is often asking, well, what does that church believe? How is that church different than our church? And we talk about there are a lot of options. It might be worse than cereal or frozen pizza when it comes to churches, but hopefully all of them, even in their difference of leadership, of polity, of ways of seeing scripture, hopefully they arrive at that ultimate choice that we must make. That there is a king you need to recognize and you will either deny him or rely on him. Now, Iona said I have to give pictures today, but instead of like doing pictures on the screen, I'm going to draw. So there's a king. So we've got a crown. Right, you guys, what? Hard color. Hard color? Yeah. How about I outline it? Yes. It's gold, so those of us with um, better vision and glasses that make us see like we're 20. So there's a crown. There's a king that we have to recognize, and you're either going, you have two choices with the king. It's either you're going to deny him, even if like partial obedience, that's denial of him. But full obedience, relying on the king is the other option, and that's what we have to live for. And here is Jesus teaching on his kingdom. 
And I love it. The, the last verse, verse 48 of what we read this morning, said all the people were hanging on his words. Talk about a preacher's dream. And it reminds me of another encounter he had with his followers in John 6. We often talk about it in my favorite chapter in all of the, B, the Bible, all of the Bible, too. But Jesus had done these miraculous signs of provision. He'd fed the people. He cared for them. And then he spoke some very penetrating words about what it meant to follow him. And it was a major choice. And it followed by major rejection. And after this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They denied this king. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We want to be like those disciples in John 6. And at Reservoir Church, that's all we want to be about. The words of life, forgiveness, wholeness, freedom, forever following King Jesus. And as Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, this is where he has been heading since we have been reading in chapter 9 of Luke's Gospel. And there is now a new audience, but the exact same Message. It's the same words of life that we've talked about now for months in the preaching of the kingdom and the way of Jesus. And that's why if you saw the graphic, we're doing 19 verse 11 through chapter 21 verse 38. A big chunk where he's telling the same truths about what it means to follow, to be in this kingdom. But it's just a new audience for him. Kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in Jesus. Come and follow him. And in these two and a half chapters that follow, the story continues to unfold of receiving or rejecting the king. And that's all we want to look at today. And so Emery's holding up a cross. I'm looking for my pen, right? So we got to draw a cross because Jesus is the king. Right? Is that okay, cross? It's a little square for my liking, but whatever. It looks like the what? The England cross. Jeez, let's talk about critical spirits. Okay, is that better? Yeah, that's better. That's better, okay. So Jesus is king. He is this king that has been promised to God's people, and he's finally arrived. That's the story we're hearing about as we study the Gospels, and the events that follow in Luke's Gospel solidify this reality that Jesus is king. We see the writer of Hebrews um, just shares with the audience of Hebrews, and he says in Hebrews 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, to be king, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is superior to angels, to Moses, and to every other king that has ever existed. And you have a choice before this king. You can deny King Jesus Or you will rely on him. And in the text we read this morning, there is a parable and a parade. A picture of denial and a picture of praise. And so there's two options for us when it comes to King Jesus. That's what we want to look at. 
We start with denying Jesus. Because that's where Jesus starts with his story. And Israel as a nation, as God's people, were a promised people. They were waiting for the perfect king to come. That's all they'd ever longed for. This child to be born, the redeemer to save. And all through his ministry, Jesus has been warning the religious people of the day that they've been missing it. They've been waiting for the wrong thing. He would teach that generations of people had gotten the way of God wrong. And the history of Israel bears this out. There's proof of that reality and judgment that they experienced in the exile that they experienced. And now in the occupation they're experiencing by Rome. They had previously put their hopes in many kings, but all of them failed. So they waited for another one that would storm the castle and redeem Israel. It was going to be glorious. But the one who came and declares this, that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This one is different than what they expected. And their expectations were off. And Jesus is going to continue to have conversations. We'll see at the very end of Luke's gospel how even some of his closest followers have a wrong view of what this king was going to come and do. And right here on his way to Jerusalem, nearing the gates of the city, he tells a parable. He gives a warning because they supposed that the the kingdom of God was going to appear Immediately, So we're just going to write over here parable. As we start to think of what does it mean to deny King Jesus. So he tells a story. A nobleman is going off to a far country to receive a kingdom and return. Which sounds a little weird to us. But in the day of the Roman Empire, this is very normative. So like Herod would have to go and appeal to Rome to receive a kingdom from Caesar, that he would be able to be called king over this region. And calling 10 of his servants, this nobleman gave out 10 minas. Now, a mina is about uh, it, it, the equivalent of three months worth of income in the first century. So this is a significant amount of money. It is an engagement ring amount of money, right? It's supposed to be three months. Did we follow that? I feel like we did. I did it right before I got a raise. <laughs> She's still with me. It's, it's good. It worked out. Right? He gives them each a mina, these 10 servants, and he says, just keep the economy going while I'm gone. I'm not going to be here, but you know business. You know what to do. Engage in business until I come. And so they do. At least some of them do. And of the three that he brings back and talks to this nobleman, um, we hear that one gets a hefty return. One gets less, and then one gets no return. Now, some of us in the men's Bible study, we talked about this a little bit this week. I have only ever heard, I've been a Christian or in the church like a very long time, and I have only heard this text preached as a rally for stewardship of what the Lord has given to you. That you need to take care of what you have so that you can cash in later. So you can rule over some cities. And so we make this text about us. It's like, well, if he gives me a mina or gives me a talent, I'm going to use that for his glory. And 
also be rich in the meantime. At least that's how we often hear it. And that's often how it's preached. And stewardship, savvy, investing, and business are good. Like we've already talked about, you should use the resources the Lord has given to you to build up the kingdom, to care for others. But that's not what this parable is about. That's not what Jesus is teaching the people on his way to Jerusalem at this moment. This is about those that reject the king. You see it right in the middle of the parable where he says, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. So we have people that are in this story and all you get is stick people. Because that's my level of artistry. Sophie, you want to draw this for me? Probably, you probably would do a better job of drawing grumpy old stick people. Okay, is that enough? Okay. <laughs> They're like, please don't draw any more of those hideous people. So this is Israel. This is the people in the parable. They've been given promises. They've been given a land. They've been given a nation. And all of it is squandered. There's a remnant that stays faithful and true. But the majority reject the king. A set of our people are meant to exemplify for all of covenantal history the worship of one true king. That's why Israel is set apart so that other nations can see who is the one true God and what does it look like to worship him. But they end up often doing the opposite of what he tells them to do. Prophets have come to warn them and now Jesus has come preaching of how they've missed it. This is what he says of those that reject him. But as for these enemies of mine, not even subjects anymore, they're enemies who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. They put trust in their own righteousness, uh, redefined the kingdom to their liking and refused the way of the king and the way of God. Great walking in you. And so here we go. This is denied. Right? This is, they've they've got fists. Let's make balls for fists. They hate the king. And he's their enemies now. And as he preaches in the temple, right? He he goes on, he essentially says, slaughter them. Like, this is significant. We can't miss this. And I, I told, um, Who'd I tell? You, Emery, I told him earlier that I'm going to draw a sword with blood on it. I am, just not yet. And Chris is like, he's just joking. And I'm like, no, this is significant. Right? He says, bring those enemies and I'm going to slaughter them because they've rejected me. So they receive a bloody bad result for denying the king. And as he preaches in the temple, he tells the exact same story another way. We see this in the parable of the wicked tenants. So he tells another parable in Luke 20. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty handed. And he sent a third and this one also they wounded and cast out. 
Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is his heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, they said, surely not. So the people that were meant to wait, because faith grows in waiting, they are actually spoiled in their waiting, and they start wanting something else. This is the story of prophets that have come over and over again to God's people and said, live different, live for justice, with humility in the way of mercy, and they beat and treat them shamefully over and over again. And then a beloved son comes, and they decide that they're going to kill him. He says the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And instead of challenging the Roman rulers when he arrives in Jerusalem, Jesus targets the misconduct of God's own people and thus becomes the object of their anger and persecution. Because they deny him, they plot to kill him. And denying the king, woe to you. This is a sword. Your promised bloody sword. Which is awful. But you get the sense. That is totally a bloody sword, I promise. Next time I'm just going to have my children, who evidently are opinionated, do all the drawing. But the challenge is when we look at this, like, we're not that far off from Israel. Because we too can deny the king. What are some of the ways that we do it? We reject his way. We hear preaching from Jesus on how we're to follow him, what the kingdom looks like, and we just go on our own way. We adapt it to our own benefit. Or we just lower Jesus down to a talisman or a good luck charm that, oh, Jesus, I need this parking spot. It's like, if if I go to church this week, everything's going to work out in that work situation. We do something even more drastic like Israel is prone to do. We run after power so that we might gain a kingdom for ourselves. And then we end up like Jerusalem. And you and read it. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So what do we take away from that story, from those parables? Don't deny King Jesus, the ruler of the universe. Everything is upheld by the power of his word. He is the one that we are to serve. If you deny him, he will give the vineyard to others. But there is another story. A true story that happens in our text, and it's of those relying on Jesus. 
for many opportunities this week to talk about the reality of who follows Jesus, who is with him, who does he invite to meals and spend time with. And tax collectors and sinners surround this rabbi. The hurting, the broken, seek after him. Those that realize there was more to life and find it in him are who follow Jesus. And all of his preaching, everything up to this point that we've heard, is just an invitation to trust him. His way is better, that he will actually provide, that he will care. He will bring salvation, provision. He will bring the kingdom. And the king has finally come. And because he's arrived, we now have a parade. And he comes on a donkey, humble, leading his people rather than following after those that obey him. As he rode along, we heard Jack read it. They spread their cloaks on the road as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So we have people now with their hands up, they're praising, come on. Oh, oh, come on. That's, that's some of us. Half their hands. Right? And then you got the ones that are like, Oh, I love Jesus. Don't want anybody to know. Um, they're just like rejoicing. This is a party. They're throwing down their cloaks. I cannot draw a cloak. I have no idea what a, you know, it's just a big square. But they're putting it before. I'm going to try to draw the donk. Nope. No, we're not drawing the donk. <laughs> right? You get it. They're supposed to be a donkey with Jesus on it. They're spreading their cloaks. They're giving them themselves for him. They are rejoicing and praising God. They're accepting this king as the blessed one. Where many deny or reject Jesus, when we see him rightly as king above all kings, we rely on him and accept him with praise. One writer says that Luke's account of Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem just before his crucifixion reveals Jesus as powerful, as God's king, and as worthy of praise and honor. In the presence of such divine greatness, the natural response is worship. And those in the parade don't fully yet know what this king is going to do. They might have some crazy views themselves. And they might be part of the crowd that is chanting for him to be crucified. But they welcome the king. They know him. And even though they don't get it, the truth of what the king is going to come and do frees us from death. As Paul would write to the Roman church, he has been made a preacher of the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll go on later. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is what the king brings to bear. Good news of forgiveness, of salvation, of being made right with God. And more than that, when we rely on him in faith, 
faith, he gives us the way to live. The way of Jesus, of love, justice, mercy for our neighbors and our enemies because he died for us as our king. So these are those that rely on Jesus. As they're supposed to. In the gospel, God has given us full and free approval in Christ. We are accepted, reconciled, justified. We no longer need to seek the approval of people because we are approved by God. The only approval that matters and the only approval that satisfies is the one from this king. And we no longer need to seek after other kingdoms because we have all that we need in Jesus. And this gospel does something in us. This good news of the king that he's brought to bear this year of jubilee, the Lord's favor that he has come to declare, makes us different. We see it in the parade. The crowds praise God. He'll go on to talk about the difference of living before Caesar and before God. And we learn to render to God all the things that are his, those that are image bearers. So we give to God ourselves. Well, see, a widow will give all that she has and is exalted by Christ because she recognizes what is of true value. And believers are kept in the midst of the troubles of life. As Jesus talks about his return yet again in Luke's gospel, there's going to be wars, hardships, and persecution, but they are kept in him. And of all that, of the difficulty that will come. Jesus says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you will, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Jesus' words in this section of Luke's gospel highlight the Christian experience of living as citizens of two very different kingdoms. There's an earthly kingdom and a heavenly kingdom. And this reality of our dual citizenship is the source of great conflict internally and externally, from within this struggle to reorient our lives towards God's radically different present and coming kingdom, uh, reorienting our lives, relying on the king, and also dealing with the outward encountering of persecution and discomfort in this sinful and God-opposed world. And Jesus does not eliminate the dilemma of our existence, but he does give us a vision of how to approach these matters because he says all of the world is God's. And our ultimate allegiance is to, allegiance is to this king and he will keep you. And we only have hope because we rely on Jesus. And he, he makes plain that life will not be easy but under this king, it will be good. It will be like being long-suffering Padres fans. What? Is that your It is the newspaper. Thanks to John Economides for giving us an illustration of waiting. Sorry, Bill. 
Right? Oh, I'm supposed to draw confetti. I got orange for confetti. It's a party in the kingdom. I had friends who went to the game last night, got home at 2.18 in the morning. Because they were partying. And let me tell you, Jesus' return is I mean, a Padre's victory in the, against the Dodgers is exciting. Joey, he didn't say amen, but he shook his head violently. <laughs> but Jesus, our king, returning, establishing his kingdom for all of eternity, you have no idea the party that's going to be. And you have a choice, friends. Deny King Jesus or rely on him. I'm going to bring us in to land with a quote from Tom Schreiner, a little longer quote. But he says, the scripture provides us or promises us that Jesus is coming again. The wicked will be punished and the righteous vindicated. The focus for believers is on the need uh, for us to persevere and to guard our own hearts. We must be, uh, beware lethargy and letting sin reign in our hearts and lives. And many stresses and sufferings and disappointments arise in life. And Satan uses these circumstances to sow doubt in our hearts, to make us wonder if the gospel is True, trying to stir us to deny our king. And we must pray regularly that we'll continue in the faith so that we will stand before the Son of Man on his last day. We also see in this passage that Jesus is coming again with power and glory. And when he comes, he will bring the kingdom to consummation. The time before his coming will be frightening and chaotic. Unbelievers will be seized with fear and dread. But Jesus encourages believers to be full of hope and optimism. Jesus' coming will be the day of our final liberation, of release from this world and all of its troubles and suffering. And when we've been there 10,000 years bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And in our text, Jesus is heading to the cross, to the inauguration of his kingdom, of forgiveness, righteousness, and new life in his resurrection. And the exhortation is the same that it's always been for generations. Choose this day whom you will serve. You have a choice every day. So friends, rely on Jesus for salvation, for hope. That sin is truly and finally dealt with on the cross. That your future is resolved. And then just go on relying on Jesus. For all of life. Followers of Jesus, of King Jesus, are not people of fear. We join in his works of renewal of others in all things with great hope. Because he's our king. Close with this prayer from Colossians 1. So from the day that we heard that you believed and relied on King Jesus, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness 
and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, our king, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross shall we rely on this king yes let's pray good and holy God We thank you for your promise. Lord, we thank you for the invitation to your vineyard, into your kingdom, that we can be your people because of the work of your king, the son. Jesus, teach us to rely on you with who we are, every ounce of our being. Be the place of our trust, of our hope, of our anticipation for the future. Lord, we repent of the ways that we've denied you and your authority, your lordship, your kingship in our lives. We surrender once again ourselves to you, our king. That we would join the parade declaring blessing upon your name because of all you've done for us. Glorified in us as a people, in Jesus' name, amen.